0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Circe campus, you can text the word Circe to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Well, good morning, Cersei. Good morning. So good to see all of you. Uh, As Johnson said, my name uh, is Caleb, and I'm just a pastor from the Russellville campus. And I always love coming to Cersei. It's so good to be here. And I want to introduce myself by saying, you know, I'm very honored and humbled uh, to have this opportunity, and I love your pastors. Uh, Pastor Kevin, the Atkinsons, the Woodsons. Man, you guys just have an incredible team and some incredible pastors. Are you thankful for your pastors? Come on, can we give it up for them really quick? Good people, man, so good. I do wanna warn you though, uh, because Kevin, I was looking in his office and he's a a therapist. And so he does a lot of counseling, he has a lot of degrees, and I'm just gonna be upfront with you. By the time we're done with this message, you're more likely to think that I need to be in therapy than I'm gonna be a therapist. So I'm gonna warn you on that. Uh, But, man, I love to be here in Searcy. I'm thankful and honored for the opportunity. And today, I want to talk to you about someone in the Bible that I admire uh, greatly. And he's only mentioned briefly, but the impact that he had on not just the early church the kingdom of God, but even to this day, was incredibly tremendous. In fact, it literally was a name change. It wasn't a game changer. They literally changed this man's name based off of the impact that he had. And his original name was Joseph, and he was a Levite from the island of Cyprus. But many of you may know him as the apostles called him, which his name was Barnabas. And they gave him this nickname based off of the ways that he used and the measures that he took to make an impact on the kingdom of God. And the name Barnabas, and I want to be really clear with you, Barnabas is not... Barabbas. Okay, some of you may be thinking this is Barabbas. Barabbas was the criminal that was involved in Jesus' crucifixion. No, Barnabas was part of the early church. And Barnabas had a huge impact on Paul's life. And we're going to see today also on John Mark's life. And John Mark would go on to write the gospel of Mark. But the reason why these apostles gave him, Joseph, this nickname Barnabas is because of the meaning. And what it means is the son of encouragement. The son of encouragement. And the ways that he encouraged people around him literally transformed their lives. And it challenged me, because I'll be honest with you. I thought to myself when I first read about this in the Son of Encouragement, I'm just going to be real with you. I thought, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good encourager. As a pastor, I feel like one of the things that I do fairly well, or at least I thought I did fairly well, was encourage people. Like, I'm really good at congratulating somebody on Facebook when they post all of these pictures. Even if I don't like the pictures, I'm still going to be really nice and encouraging, and I'm going to congratulate them. If somebody sends me a joke, even if I don't laugh, I'm going to give them an LOL. I'm going to give them... Come on, how many of you do that? How many of you... If somebody sends you something funny and you send these emojis, but you're not actually doing any of what the emoji tells you that you're doing. Come on, show me. I want to show a hands. People in the room are just like my people. Okay, cool. Yes. Come on, seriously. Do you turn your head and you have tears running down your eyes when you send that emoji? No, nobody does that, but we do those things because we want to encourage people. We want people to feel good about themselves. And so what does it mean? I had to think about this for a second. What does it actually mean though to encourage someone? And the definition is to give support, confidence, or provide hope to someone or something. And Barnabas wasn't just sending laugh emojis to jokes he didn't think were funny or congratulating people on Facebook. No, Barnabas took encouraging to an entire new level, a level that literally transformed the lives of the people that he encouraged. And here's the reality, is that the Bible teaches us to be encouragers. And I can't think of a better time or a better era that we live in than to make encouraging people a priority. Because it's very easy to look around, even in our own world, our small bubbles, and be very discouraged by a lot of the things that we're seeing. And I'm sure Barnabas was in the same situation as he looked around. He was involved in the early church where there was persecution. The Roman government was literally killing Christians, martyring people for Christ. Barnabas had plenty of discouragement. To go around him, and we're going to read about it here in a moment, but he chose to be an encourager, and not only did he encourage people towards the gospel, but he used the ability to encourage people to change the trajectory of their life, and the Bible teaches us to do this. I mean, you can find so many scriptures that talks about encouraging people. Two of my favorite are Hebrews ten twenty four, where it says, let's see how inventive we can be, and encouraging love and helping out. 1 Thessalonians says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. You're going to notice as we read about Barnabas that it wasn't just situations or circumstances, but just like the apostles, it literally became who he was. And I believe that God has called us as Christians to be encouragers, not just in moments, in situations, but literally for it to be the very essence of our being. And I think there are three things that we can learn from Barnabas that can help all of us in our lives really understand what it means to encourage people. And so let's look at where he's mentioned in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 32 through 36. Now, verse 32 through 35, you're going to probably have, if you grew up in church like me, you're going to know this scripture. We've read this scripture a lot. We've heard of this. But the last scripture is what's really important. Let's read this. Verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses would sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Okay, that's pretty fascinating. That they, If anybody had any kind of wealth in that time, during that time, God's grace was so powerful that they literally would just sell it and give it to the apostles. That's incredible. That's almost like unfathomable to me to even think of anybody doing that. And look at this, the first person in line To do it in verse 36 is Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And the first thing, this is the first time Barnabas is mentioned, the first thing that we learn about Barnabas is that he did little to nothing out of selfish ambition, that Barnabas did little to nothing. And I say, Little to nothing, because I'm going to guess he's a human being like all of us. And I'm sure that there were moments probably before God's grace was working so powerfully as scripture tells us in Barnabas. I'm sure there were moments to where he was doing things out of selfish ambition. But one of the first things that we read about is that he literally took his own wealth and his own land, sold it. And then brought the prophet to the apostles feet to give out to people who were needy. And these were people that he probably didn't know. These were people that were strangers that he had no relationship currently with. And it is crazy to me to think that Barnabas with wealth, because back in that time, just like today, typically if you have land, it means that you have wealth, that one of the first things that he would do to encourage people is to take his wealth and to give it to those who need it. And it's interesting because I've noticed in myself that it's one thing to encourage somebody when you expect something in return. Like it's one thing to encourage someone in your workforce that you're depending on for your job. It's one thing to encourage somebody that you're working alongside with or that in some way, shape or form, you're relying on them for some part of your life. But what if God was asking us to encourage people that couldn't give us anything in return. Like I said, I told you that I thought I was a great encourager. I remember early on in ministry, I actually got called out for this because I was great at encouraging the people who impacted my life. I was great at encouraging the people that were within my ministry or even within my own family, the people that I was relying on for certain things or that I was expecting or anticipating a return. And there was actually really close friends of ours, and they were doing ministry early on with us for many years, and they ended up transitioning out, not for bad reasons. They moved. And once they transitioned out, we really stopped talking with them. And it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like something that I was consciously thinking about, but they were moved out of the ministry. We weren't around them as often. I'll never forget, he got lunch with me one day, and he just called me out. He said, bro, he said, like, I miss our relationship." He said, "I miss hanging out. I miss our conversations." She's like, "I don't know what's happened, but I just feel like, you know, we're not as part of our lives as we once were." And I remember stepping back, thinking, "Well, yeah, there's a lot of things that are a part of that that I couldn't control, but one thing I could is, why did I stop pouring into this guy? Why did I stop giving him support and giving him confidence and providing him hope?" And the Lord really opened my eyes to making me realize is that because he, I wasn't relying on him like I once was in my life. And so as a result, I had stopped encouraging him. And it really challenged me the way that Barnabas was encouraging people that, he, that could not provide something to him in return. And I think we as Christians, we don't just need to be looking at the people that we rely on, but we also need to be thinking about every single day you have people that are walking by you, cashiers at Starbucks, cashiers at different places that you walk by, people in your workplace that you're walking by every day who need confidence, who need support, who need somebody in their life to give them hope. And they may not be able to give you anything in return, but that doesn't mean that we still shouldn't look for the opportunity to encourage them. And then I search scripture, and scripture really instructs us in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Listen to this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Look, I'm not saying sell everything that you have and lay it at an apostle's feet, but I am saying that there are opportunities every single day where people are discouraged, people lack hope, People could use just a simple encouragement, could use a scripture, could use a smile. We can start in such a small way, but like Barnabas, if we allow ourselves to be encouragers, we can make a life-changing impact in people's lives. And Barnabas didn't just do it with his assets. You're gonna see here moving forward that he actually does it personally for others. Because one of the things that I loved about Barnabas is that he believed the best in others, even when they were at their very worst. And you see, the characters that the people that we're going to read about here, we know them at their best, but Barnabas had to believe in them when he had only seen their worst. And there are two instances this happened. And first. In Acts chapter 9, look at this. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. You're going to find out who he is. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, okay, Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. And the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Saul, who we all know now as Paul, who had three missionary journeys, did incredible things. This was, even according to Scripture, this was fresh Saul. This was the murderer who had just been killing Christians, who were doing terrible things, traveling around. And listen, we want, I want to give the disciples a little bit of credit here because I think all of us would probably feel the same way. If someone wanted to hang out with you, but that person also picked people like you to kill, you probably would be a little bit hesitant to want to spend time or to want to be around them. So granted, the disciples are looking at Saul here saying, hey bro, weren't you just going around and killing Christians? Weren't you just murdering Christians? And now you like wanna hang out with us? You wanna eat dinner with us? Like, uh." but isn't it interesting that Barnabas took a stand for Saul. Barnabas had no idea that Saul would become Paul, that Saul would launch the church further than it's ever gone before, that Saul would do some incredible things for the kingdom of God. The only thing that Barnabas knew was the same thing the disciples knew in that moment, that Saul was a convicted murderer. And it was dangerous to have someone like Saul around, yet Barnabas chose to believe the best in a man who people had only seen his worst. Then he does it again in Acts chapter 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them, In the work, they had a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers. To the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So here we have John Mark, which is actually fascinating because my father is named John Mark, and he goes by Mark. Side story, funny story. For my entire life up until nine years old, I thought my father's name was Mark until I got a piece of mail. My mom made me go out and get the mail, and it said John Mark, and I thought my entire life was a conspiracy theory. Like, literally, I was like completely like, I was like, nothing is real, everything's a lie. I was like, who is John? Anyways, but John Mark, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't tell us, he deserted Paul and Barnabas, and what were they doing? Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel, were healing people, were creating disciples, were doing godly things, and for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't tell us, John Mark deserted him. Now, I told you that John Mark would go on to write the gospel of Mark. But here, once again, we have him at his very worst, and Barnabas had every reason and excuse to dismiss And to walk away from someone like John Mark. After all, John Mark had walked away from him. Yet, Barnabas took a stand and chose to believe the very best in someone who was at their very worst. And once more, who was Barnabas standing up against? He wasn't standing up against bad people. He was standing up against good people, apostles, disciples, Other godly people who couldn't see the best in someone, yet Barnabas chose to, even at the risk of his own safety. For all he knew, Saul could have been lying about the whole experience at Damascus and could have killed Barnabas. John Mark could have deserted Barnabas again, yet he took the risk to believe the best. And we live in a world today that designs us to think the worst about people. And guess what? For me, it comes natural. Not only do we live in a world where clickbait most of the time is what is going wrong in the world today, my mind, for whatever reason, I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, I can just very easily think of the worst of somebody. Like, I don't know if anybody else is this way, but man, like any people watchers in the room, is anybody a people watcher in the room? I can be a people watcher. It really gets bad for me when I'm at an airport. I don't know why, but... When I'm at an airport, man, I get real judgy. Like, I just get really judgy on people for whatever reason. And I can really easily think about just the worst thing. And I'm going to give you guys some examples of this. Just put myself on blast because it's true. I, it's like for, <laughs> okay, sorry. But for instance, like if, if I saw it, and this, these are all really true stories, and this is what I was thinking, and I'm going to feel really bad. But anyways, I saw this dude with a tie-dye shirt. And the first thing I thought of is he probably doesn't wear deodorant. That was just the first thing that came to my mind. He's wearing a tie-dye shirt and flip-flops, and the first thing I thought is, he does not wear deodorant. Or I was in line at McDonald's, I was waiting to get breakfast, and there was a lady up front, and she was really mad about her order. Her order was wrong, and she's yelling at the cashier, and the first thing in my mind was, chill, Karen. I don't know her name, but I just guessed that it was probably... Karen. Or the worst one is there was this older lady, and she had this little tiny dog that she brought on the flight. And for whatever reason, this dog had it out for every human being on the flight because it barked the entire time. Yeah, and so anyways, and so I thought to myself, I was like, I'm going to give her some water, water, maybe some vodka, put it in there, give it to the dog, let it drink it, think I'm doing something nice. I'm really not. Anyways, You understand, but, okay, wait, wait, wait. That's the worst, okay, that's the worst. But what if I was trying to believe the best? What if the guy with the tie-dye shirt was wearing it because his daughter got it for him for his birthday and he was wearing deodorant? If I walked by, I could smell the Old Spice, okay? What if the lady in McDonald's, she just lost somebody? She had a really horrible day and the poor lady, she just wanted her McDonald's fries. We can all relate to that, right? Okay, what if the older lady... The reason why she couldn't, she had to bring her dog is because she didn't have anybody else to take care of it. She had no other people in her life to be able to take that, take care of that dog while she traveled. So she had to bring that dog with her. See, don't you feel bad? Welcome to my life, people. This is what happens, okay? So this is believing the best in somebody instead of the worst. But I think us as Christians, we have to be careful that we don't always assume or believe the worst in people even when they're living in their worst. Because there are often times when people are at their very worst that all they can, they they don't have any hope in their lives and what they need from us is not a laugh. What they need from us is somebody to give them hope. And I believe that's what Barnabas did is that even though Barnabas was seeing the worst, He chose to believe the best, and by believing the best in Saul, by believing the best in John, Mark, it empowered them to become their very best. You see, it's easy to encourage people at a wedding. It's easy to encourage someone at a birthday, but one of the most difficult things for me to do is to try to encourage somebody at a funeral because it is hard to find support or confidence or hope When things are at their very worst, but oftentimes that's the very thing that people need. And look, I don't know about you, but I have people in my life who even right now are living at their very worst. And not only do they need my vote of confidence when I speak to them, they also need my vote of confidence when I speak about them. Because it is one thing to go to somebody and say, hey, I believe the best in you, but it's another thing to stand up to everybody else saying, "Hey." even though he's at his worst, I believe there is still the very best on the inside of him. If it wasn't for people in my life 10 years ago when I was doing all kinds of crazy things, my testimony is crazy, I was doing all kinds of stuff. If it wasn't for people speaking to my very best, providing and giving me hope when I couldn't, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I know there are people in our lives right now who may be living out their very worst And all they may need from you is to give them some hope by believing that the best is still yet to come in their life. In 1 Corinthians, it tells us to do this in 13, 7. It says, love always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You know, it's easy for me. I have a four-year-old daughter. She's getting ready to turn five and actually just... A few weeks and right now man everything is great she is just, she's hilarious she's awesome she's in dad, like she's in full daddy mode and she just loves me and all of this stuff and it's great so it's easy for me at four years old to protect her to trust to hope to persevere but i had two sisters and i know there's a time coming people i know there's a day coming where she is not gonna think dad is cool She's not gonna wanna jump on the bed with dad. She's not gonna wanna do all these different things that she loves to do. And I know there's probably gonna be a point in my daughter's life where she's gonna be at her worst. Because the reality is, no matter how it looks for all of us, all of us at one time or another have found ourselves at at, at a rock bottom. And I tell myself, I say, Caleb, just like you love and you protect And you believe and you hope and you look for the best and you can see the best in your daughter today at her very best. Man, I hope as a father one day when she's at her worst, I still do the same. Because that's what we need. I mean, after all, all of us are at our worst in our sin nature. And who gave us the greatest hope? You know, I just talked about one of the hardest things to do is to encourage somebody at a funeral because death is the worst. It just is. When people die and young people, you don't think about it enough, but trust me, I'm 34. As I've gotten older, I think about it more because people don't live forever. One out of one person, we all die. I know that I'm I'm discouraging you guys. I'm sorry, but listen, there is because of what Jesus Christ did, even in the worst we have hope that even though the worst thing that could happen is somebody dying, we can still find hope because of what Jesus did. And what Barnabas did is he took the hope that Jesus gave him and he started to share it with the people around him. And I'm not talking about the people who were at the peaks of their lives. I'm talking about Barnabas chose to fight for people in their valleys, at their very worst. And man, it just challenged me. Because again, if you scroll through your newsfeed or anything, you can get really discouraged. You can get really cynical about the world and about people. Like me, you think the worst. You can get really annoyed and make fun of people a lot. But man, I'll tell you what scripture tells us as disciples of Christ, that it's clear, is that we should always look for the best and we should always believe the best. Your political candidates over this last few weeks didn't, didn't win re-election. Didn't things didn't go as you planned. We can still believe the best because we don't serve man, we serve God. And so it doesn't matter if governing authorities get off bat because guess what? They still have to submit to the heavenly authorities, just like we do. And so no matter what happens in our lives, we can always walk and carry hope because of what Jesus did for all mankind. And so how did Barnabas, even when people were acting their worst, when people were living out their worst, how did he see the best? Because he learned from the best. Jesus saw him at his worst and loved him. So there is no one in this room that doesn't have the ability to be an encourager. There's no one in this room that doesn't have the ability to be a son and daughter of encouragement. And I can't think of a greater way to make an impact in the people around us than to support, give them confidence, and most of all, provide hope in what seems to be a discouraging and hopeless world at times. And lastly, is Barnabas fought for spiritual freedom. (laughs) And if you're taking notes, I man, I really encourage you circle, underline, emphasize spiritual, spiritual freedom. Up until this point, we know that Barnabas loved two things. He first of all, loved the gospel. God's grace worked so powerfully in Barnabas that he sold everything that he had and gave it to people he didn't even know. And then number two is Barnabas loved people. Saul, at his worst, Barnabas loved him. John Mark, at his worst, Barnabas loved him. But now, we're gonna see a point here in Acts chapter 15, where the gospel and a group of people have come under attack, and look at what Barnabas does. In Acts chapter 15, verse one. He says, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, You cannot be saved. Okay, here is the gospel under attack. They're saying, unless you are circumcised, you cannot receive salvation. So this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute, not with each other, but with the people saying this and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Yet here, once again, Barnabas is going to bat, is going to fight, not just for people, but for the the gospel. And so it's interesting because the people who were saying that if you weren't circumcised, you cannot be saved, were Jews. We know that Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. He also was a Jew. But you see, Barnabas understood what the gospel was. You see, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was a physical birthright. And so because it was a physical birthright, there were ceremonial laws that had to take place. And you can read about some of these in Leviticus that they had to do to represent the physical covenant between God and the nation of Israel. Well, when Jesus came, like he told Nicodemus, who was a Jew, Jesus says, now it's a spiritual rebirth. You will be reborn spiritually. And what Jesus was telling Nicodemus is now our covenant goes from a physical birthright to now a spiritual birthright, meaning that anyone who has a soul, all mankind has a right to be God's chosen people through me. And so now this is why we can have tattoos. This is why we can eat shellfish and we can do some of the things that Leviticus says, because Jesus changed the covenant through the nation of Israel from being a physical to a spiritual one. Well, the Jews in that time, they had a hard time understanding this because according to them in the Old Testament, in scripture, to have a spiritual, to have a relationship with God, you had to be circumcised. And Barnabas and Paul were saying, no, it is now about people's spiritual freedom. It's no longer about something physical because if you've ever wondered what a Gentile is, a Gentile is literally anybody who isn't a Jew. So it's anyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you just are not a Jew, you are a Gentile. And what Paul and Barnabas were saying is the gospel is for everyone. And they went to bat and fought for the people that weren't even considered to be their own. And, man, it challenged me. Am I fighting for people to experience the gospel the way Paul and Barnabas is. I'll tell you what, with all the political climate of happening around, it even challenged me further. I see the way some people fight for political candidates. It is, I'm telling you, people dedicate their lives to all of this as far as the political candidacy of winning a political campaign. I mean, they fight like crazy and the Lord really challenged me is, do I fight for people's spiritual freedom the way that they fight for people's political freedom? Because the reality is, yes, we are citizens of America. And I love this country my grandfather served. I am so thankful that I live where I live, but I am also a citizen of heaven. And while America may not always last, heaven is eternal. And every single day there are people that are dying who may not experience heaven. So what is it that people would have personal rights, earthly rights and freedom, but lose their rights and freedom to heaven? And so it challenged me, Barnabas has challenged me, that we have got to start fighting for people's spiritual freedom. Because the reality is, is that our battle is not against flesh and blood. And scripture tells us this. But there are spiritual battles that are taking place in people's lives right now. And I think about my own family. I think about people that I love and I care about. I have a wayward sister right now. She is not following God. She's not loving the Lord. As I heard about all that Barnabas is doing, I thought, is anybody praying for my sister? Because at the end of the day, it's not me, but it's ultimately Jesus who's gonna set her free. And what God asks us all to do is He asks us that we can pray. So Barnabas has challenged me to begin to fight for the spiritual freedom of people's lives. And Ephesians 6:10 through 12, it tells us. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms the reality is is that our enemies are not on the left or on the right our enemy collectively is beneath us and his name is satan and his goal is is to keep as many people out of heaven as possible. And Jesus' and Barnabas' goal was to get as many people as possible to spending eternity with Christ. And Barnabas has reminded me that at the end of the day, that's what matters, is where people are spending eternity. And it's time for disciples of Christ, you and I, to put our focus and attention towards people's spiritual right. It's time for us as disciples of Christ in a discouraging world to be encouragers, to give support, to provide confidence, and to give hope to people who can't give themselves, who can't create hope for themselves. I think all of us in this room, we can think about someone in our life right now who is living their worst. And the greatest thing that we could do for them is just to simply take some time to encourage them. And so, what does it take to encourage people towards Christ? To become a son and a daughter of encouragement? It's to support them without expecting anything in return, it's to always look for the best in others especially when they're at their worst. And it's to fight for people to be set free spiritually through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a challenge, and I feel like through Barnabas' life, this is what God has challenged me with, and I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that if you'd like to take part in this for the next week, and here are the three things that I'm going to try to do every single day. Number one is encourage someone without trying to get anything in return. Number two, speak to someone's potential or confidence through text or phone call or the best personal conversation. And then number three is every day, 10 minutes of prayer for spiritual freedom for those who are lost. With heads bowed and eyes shut, you guys were awesome today. Thank you for your grace and I just hope that, myself included, that the Lord can use us to provide hope and give people confidence who don't have any for themselves.